Hi, before we get started on the podcast today, I want to let you know that there's a virtual Listen to My Life group starting September 10th that you can join in on. It is a fantastic experience. You'll be led through by myself, Sharon Swing, along with co-author Sybil Towner and our Director of Facilitator Development, Joan Kelly. And you'll be joined by people from all over the country or all over the world, um, going through Listen to My Life together. You'll find out more information at onelifemaps.com. That's O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S.com. We're also doing another facilitator certification workshop in the Chicago area in mid-November. You'll find out more information on the website at onelifemaps.com as well. We sure hope you'll join us. It's a fantastic experience. Now, here's the podcast for today. Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, Maps for Recognizing and Responding to God in My Story, Sharon Swing. Greetings, everyone. This is Sharon Swing, and today I have the distinct pleasure of being around the table with Sybil Towner. Say hello. Hello. Happy to be here today. And Karen Maines. As am I happy to be here today. Yeah. And in so many ways, we're so glad you're here today and every day. <laughs> and so well, why don't you introduce your, your long friend, long time yes. friend? Well, Karen and I have been friends for a long time. I was friends with her as an author, and then I had the distinct privilege of being able to meet her. But I think um, related to the topic that we're going to speak about, hospitality, I'd like to introduce her in that way. And um, the definition of uh, hospitality is inviting, one definition, is inviting the stranger into the inside circle of intimacy. And Karen and David, um, back in the 60s, began a church in the city and wanted to invite the strangers, those who didn't have a place to go, to know the love of Christ. And uh, Karen has had a uh, long um, journey with uh, writing, and I can remember her saying, what you do, you're not going to like to write. You have to get up very early and put your uh, pen to the paper or your hand to the keyboard, and you just write. And uh, eventually, there are words that flow together that have really meaning from the heart of who you are. And so, uh, one of the favorite books on hospitality is Open Heart, Open Home. But another one that I have particularly loved is the work of Tales of the Kingdom and how um, Great Park was a place of distinct and beautiful hospitality, of inclusion of who you are, no matter where you are. So um, Karen has lived this out, and she and I were a part of a uh, covenant group for almost 17 years that came together because she gathered people around a table, and they came to her, somehow sought her out. She drew them together and said, well, this is what I think we might do. And uh, seven or eight of us responded. So I think um, that might be um, enough for right now. Uh, I would have to take the whole time on the podcast to really tell you everything about her. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. I'm so glad you're not going to do that. Okay. (laughs) So how about if we ask you a few questions instead of talking about you? Let's do that. (laughs) Would you rather have that happen? So what initially sparked your interest in hospitality? Well, my 
My father was from a southern clan, and um, I was telling our children, who are all grown now, that uh, they called him Bapa. Bapa measured his wealth. He taught music. He was a music professor, and he was the head of the music department at Moody Bible Institute. So there wasn't a lot of wealth as other people measure wealth in our family. But he, he, I can remember him measuring his wealth by how many people he could sleep overnight when he came to visit. <laughs> And as I look back through the years, we would go home to what was Dad's home, Des Moines, every August because he had the whole month off from teaching. And that extended family, they were all my, my age now, you know, the generations, my great aunts and great uncles and then their children, was warm and loving and it was just uh, my ideal my ideal of what a family should be like. So it was modeled for us with not much Mm. verbalization of it was the unconscious competencies of them all. They were Mm. just extraordinary. In fact, I even thought, you know, I wonder what subtext I was missing. There there must have been some little family problems going on. But I was talking with a distant cousin, and she said, oh, that was her memory of when they went home. All, All of the kids were their kids. You know, mm. they adored children. Mm. And so that's what I grew up that's what I grew up with, that model, and then my, my parents were hospitable. So it was so much easier for me than for some who have not had any of that in their background uh, to open a home and say, come on in. So you have some angst about the current condition of the world. I think we're in a bad place mm. um, in many, many ways. And one of the things I've been doing has been reading that the, you, the audience can't see it, but there's a stack of books uh, in this room on the sociological um, description and and analyzation and data data gathering on how alienated our culture is from one another. I mean, the incidence of loneliness and of uh, huge amounts of people not having any any significant yeah. person they can go to. Um, I have some of the stats. Do you want me to just go run right ahead? I'm going to read this off my list, and first I have to put my glasses on. <laughs> just a second. I'll get there. Between 1985 and 2009, the average American social network shrank by more than one-third, defined by the number of close confidants. Now, the aging subset of baby boomers had fewer children and more divorces than the generations before them, leaving many without companions in their old age. Think about mm-hmm. that. Oh, it's... About mm-hmm. one in ten Americans age 15 older don't have a spouse, romantic partner, or living child. This is roughly 8 million lonely people. One in six boomers live alone. Most surprisingly, now we're going to switch from the boomers down to the younger ones, Young people are actually most at risk of feeling alone in contemporary society. There was a Cigna study done by the insurance company, the large insurance company. It found out that Generation Z, members 18 to 22, and millennials ages 23 to 27 scored highest in feeling lonely. As this article concludes, if you feel lonely, you are lonely. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is just prime opportunity for the church, uh, for Christians. I think there need to be efforts stimulated by churches to reestablish the neighborhood church concept again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then the Christians who each of us has a home, we thought we got because we could afford it, but it's really because God planted us in this neighborhood or that apartment building or that trailer park to be that loving uh, uh, 
per, that uh, that loving that loving Christ-like figure in that place. Mm -hmm. And that's just something we Christians have lost as well. We're not too much better than the society that's around us. <clears throat> yeah, it used to be um, that you would have um, some Sunday dinner cooking in a pot or uh, before the crock pots, and you invited people to come home You after, uh, after church on mm -hmm. Sunday. I think that is almost lost, mm -hmm. and the best of it that happens is we go to some restaurant um, after, um, after dinner. I have a friend who's single who is in the uh, older group, but she has for years been uh, going to small towns to uh, their fried chicken night or mm -hmm. their uh, whatever, whatever the, they do, whatever yeah. they do in these small churches knows nobody, mm -hmm. but she goes to that and is so satisfied and feels she has encountered community. So mm -hmm. I d that I, that would just never have occurred to me to think about um, doing. Well, we lived in Oak Park, Illinois, where the houses were um, for eight years, uh, which is the f the first western suburb out of Chicago. So the houses maybe had 10 feet between them, maybe 15. You could hear not only that your neighbors were arguing, you could tell what they were arguing about. Mm -hmm. But all of them had front porches. Every single house on that street had front porches. So here you are close together, and there were block parties, and when the kids went to school... For in September, we I'd invite everyone over, and we'd have a celebrate school starting up again. <laughs> Coffee and um, at Christmas time, one couple of the men down the street would come up and they tipple, you know, have a drink at every house <laughs> to say Christmas. Greenies. Did you call that tipple? They called it tippling, I think, because you tippled after a while. <laughs> That's funny. But there was just this. Um, it was a, a feeling of being belonging to a community. And, of course, children, having children, a lot of children around, mm -hmm. always helps because then people are more inclined to mm -hmm. connect. But I do think we need to map out very distinctive, very intentional, very um, um, rigorous sorts of efforts to overcome this kind of alienation. Now then we reach the problem that a lot of people don't know how to practice hospitality. Yes. And so it's that's true. a whole other dilemma that we have to face. I, I find that sometimes when we invite people in, they're it, they're just in awe of it, yeah. and it's just such a it's a curious thing to me mm -hmm. that it would seem so difficult for people to imagine cooking a little extra food and putting a few extra plates on a table. Well, you can go to a restaurant, but the last couple we had here were here for three and a half hours. Mm -hmm. talking around this table. We didn't leave this table. I don't think we feel the comfortability or the permission to do that in a restaurant because, you know, you've got people waiting in line or maybe if there's mm -hmm. no one there, but not three and a half hours. No. Um, so at that point in time, then you really begin to know one another. So one of the programs I think that needs to be established is frankly just teaching, doing tutoring. You know, how do you do it and start easy, you know, start easy. Well, we're just going to have people for coffee and everyone's going to bring a dessert. Now, how easy does that get, you know, or find the easiest ways to do it. Yes. Um, and, but people need to be encouraged to do it and taught to do it. Singles, you know, I have a friend, Carol Niles, who just wrote me this adorable letter 
she's a widow, and she said now that she's a widow, she's lonely, but of an age set where she feels hesitant about gathering intergenerational folk around. And she said, then we have the eating problem. And she went through this incredible list of all the things that people can't <laughs> eat. She said, how do you feed any? And it was like a paragraph long, you know, um, the vegans and the vegetarians. And, the, <laughs> and that is a real problem. It's a real problem. Yeah. Um, so w- what we need to do then is have, in churches, have hospitality advocacy an advocacy committee that really begins to use the church kitchen and teach people okay if you can learn to do three easy meals that's all you ever have to do you know <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. it is um simplify the whole concept this is not martha stewart that we're that's not the ideal right the ideal is to provide an environment that's safe and welcoming so that people can be can be so that excuse me so that people can begin to share who they are yes i think that another piece that's missing out of the millennial crowd that i've noticed is when they purchase furniture or decide how to use space they don't leave space for hospitality mm-hmm. you know they don't even put in a, a table mm-hmm. they don't put an eating table in they mm-hmm. eat at the couch and you know it's like they don't have the faci- they haven't even thought about how they are need to set space aside for mm-hmm. people to be able mm-hmm. to sit around a table mm-hmm. in some ways. And um, it's reflected in a lot of the TV shows that, that feature that, that age group as mm-hmm. well. And I find that really interesting that we've kind of lost the art of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, with Listen to My Life and, and what we're interested in is inviting souls out of hiding. Mm-hmm. And we're interested in helping people learn how to listen to mm-hmm. one another. So there's the practical aspects of the space and the food and, and all, but then there's this this way of being right. that's reflected here. And, and very often um, the food gets to be the uh, peace because that's the external. Mm -hmm. And it allows us to stay hidden Mm -hmm. from the sort of emptiness or the unsuredness or the defendedness Mm -hmm. of the internal. And so uh, you, at that point, you are doing entertainment. You are not doing hospitality. Well, you may, you may be on a certain, certain level. What people don't know how to do is what my husband David calls they can't get to the second question. And so we've been going to a Sunday, uh, a service on, pardon me, on Saturday evening that allows us to be in front. Uh, I'm just stumbling over my words. That allows us to, on Sunday, pop into a variety of churches and visit and just see what is going on with churches, uh, in, particularly in our neighborhood. But we've done this all over the country as we travel. And in many of them, you have the greeting committee, this is, you know, hi, good to have you here, and they show you where to go. And no one ever in that entire time you're in that new environment, a new person, often the members have tags so they know that you're new. Um, no one ever gets to the second question, what brings you here? Or um, what do you do with in your life? Hey. You know, or tell me your name even sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or nothing that takes people beyond the greeting mm-hmm. and that has happened in every single church we've gone to. Now, this is just amazing. Popped in as visitors, yes. too. So what we want to do is teach people to ask 
questions. Yes. Ask yes. good questions. And that's what you're talking yes. about, Sylvia. Well, and we had this um, in the uh, recent uh, Listen to My Life uh, facilitator certification. There, on, there was a question given to people was, that said, ask me about. Mm. And when we had dinner on Tuesday evening, one of the tables went around. They hadn't had a chance to talk about it. And each one said, all right, what was your ask me about? Mm-hmm. Which is to me a second question. Yes, it's a second question. And, uh, and so uh, it just took uh, each person to a very interesting, appropriate thing to share with people you didn't know well. Mm-hmm. But you actually got to know that person and you saw the energy mm-hmm. of their personhood come forward. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Mm. Yeah, well, we try and David and I, now David, I just hate to admit this, but he is much better at this than I am asking those questions. Yes, so I have been at that table. You've been at that table and um, you wait until their eyes light up and then you know you've, re- you've reached their passion. And then you go deeper and deeper into that. But people will respond to questions like often David will be on an airplane and maybe he'll have a Bible or, or they'll, they'll say, what do you do? And he'll say, I'm a minister. And, um, and then chat a little bit and then he'll say to them, um, what's your spiritual autobiography like? You know, where are you coming from on your spiritual journey? And no one is ever offended by that, you know, whether they're hostile or, or not. Or they've had church in their background, or never have been church. Um, they want to talk about it, and that's a question people don't ask. Right, and and there is no one who has not believed in God at some at point. Some point. Yeah. But the issue is that the God they were presented with mm-hmm. or believed was not a God they could embrace. Mm-hmm. And so they said, this is not for me. And I know Sharon um, has this uh, question <clears throat> that you've asked when you have been at a dinner before um, that has a spiritual question. So tell me an early... Oh, tell me an early uh, remembrance of, oh, nice. of, yeah. of God. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, or I love asking people um, about... When was God particularly tangible to you? Yes. And you get the most fascinating conversations. And in fact, we had dinner around our dining room table with someone that my husband worked with and his wife. And and he had a lot of spiritual questions. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons he... I mean, he came to our table... Wanting to have wanting to do that. spiritual conversation, and um, Tom had given him a Bible because they were having these conversations, and he 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 had he he read it yeah the whole thing and then he had with questions the, and then for he sure. had <laughs> exactly <laughs> plenty and um, but it was it, he was still he was still very skeptical in various different ways and asked all kinds of technical questions about. Yeah, Old Testament, New Testament, just all kinds of different things. Very intelligent, yeah. heady questions. Yeah. And finally I said, but when has God been particularly real to you? Yeah. And tears came to his eyes oh, and he told us a story of being um, with his sister after his brother had died. Uh-huh. And they had gone out to this hillside to kind of look over the over the landscape, and they'd remembered being there with their brother as a, as a child, and they met God there. Yeah. And had this sense of reassurance. And yeah. I said, what did that feel like in your body? Yeah. 
And it was like, he was just reliving this sense of, it's like, okay, you can ask all these heady questions, but there's a knowing yeah. mm-hmm. there. And, and the conversation around that table that night was so beautifully profound mm-hmm. and tender. Mm-hmm. And it had this shift between kind of prove it to me to you hear me, you yeah. see me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and helping this man see himself uh-huh. in the midst of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, see see something of himself that he had somehow forgotten. We have an interesting that thing that's going on in our lives right now. David is 82 and I am 67. Oh, 77. <clears throat> And I wish it were six or seven. <laughs> so and, misunderestimated her, her age by 10 years. <laughs> it's okay. So through my daughter, our daughter, actually, we had a, a life coach who needed to certify herself as a systems coach. And would we, you know, talk with her once a week on the phone and she'd tape it and she'd get her systems coaching done. Now, in most conversations, David and I are doing this sort of stuff. And very rarely do people return it or Mm -hmm. ask us questions. Very rarely. In fact, most of the time they don't. And that's fine because we feel this is ministry. This is Mm -hmm. hospitality at the most intimate level. So we said, go ahead. We'd love to have it. We're in a transition. We're going into the, we are in the last quarter of our life. She's worked with us now once a month for about a year and a half, an hour and a half, if not two hours on the phone. We've never met her. And she's not Christian. She mm-hmm. comes from a Judeo-Jewish Jew, background. Um, so, But it has meant that when she asks us questions, or and her big question is, how is the we doing? Not because it's systems, it's not how's Karen doing, how's David doing? And as a big of a team as we are, we have never thought this way um, intentionally. And so um, we have... Uh, had questions presented that sometimes kind of come out of our conversation that we'll work with for the whole two weeks or so before we talk to her again that have never, ever been asked of us. And yet they are essential questions that we need to be answering and struggling with at this significant tradition time in our lives. It's just been an extraordinary gift. Mm. She's never charged us a penny. So what what are some of the more powerful questions she's well, asked you? Well, it's, it's how are you functioning as a we? And w- when we started with her, we were coming off the grief of having lost a son. He died mm-hmm. five years ago. And then two of our, our other sons, their marriages were very troubled. I had a cancer operation. You know, it, there hadn't been time... And because we are so other-directed, there hadn't been time for us to really work through the grief issues. Mm. We just functioned, you know, or to see how it impacted both David and myself. So it would be a lot of us saying to one another, we really haven't worked through that. But the point of that is that um, having given this to so many people ourselves and it being, I would say, a predominant um, part of our personal life um, to ask questions and to get to that mm-hmm. place where that person feels like they really have been heard or mm-hmm. to be to be seen or yes. their soul has been seen. Um, then to have it turned on us and to experience at a crucial time in our lives the same sort of gift 
of having someone wanting to know you and affirm your progress and say, oh, this is just, let me tell you what, may I tell you what she always asks, may I tell you what I'm noticing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The other thing that's been good about that is we can't use our very comfortable spiritual lingo. So we have to frame it in a way that, we do at times, and she's fine with that, but we have to frame it in a way that fits her verbalization system. Not that she can't understand us, but as a courtesy to not just be, you know. And I found that very often um, I I revert lingo. The spiritual lingo is often the fallback thing. It's a code that we Mm -hmm. just expect, that we understand, but we expect everyone else to understand it as well. So it's been a good, a really good experience for us, totally unplanned. But God has used it in our lives in in a nice way that we have been able to experience the hospitality over the telephone with someone we've never met for these one and a half years in the in a, a, a essentially crucial area of our lives. It's been just extraordinary. <laughs> hmm. So what's your hope for um, the, the recent... Uh, diving deep into this stack of books about hospitality that are sitting here. And well, what's your hope for the near term and long term? My plan is to begin a hospitality in- initiative that would be website based. But because I am 76, I'm not going to be along, around very long. But to gather other players. And I've picked up a whole bunch of books. Uh, Open Heart, Open Home was the only book that I know of at the time that it was written in the religious marketplace on the meaning of scriptural hospitality. And there are lots of very good ones that have come out since that time. So as to gather those authors and major players and say, we need to do something about this. What's your piece of the pie? Mm-hmm. Hospitality is so radical. Hospitality is taking in those who are so broken mm-hmm. that they can hardly function on their own anymore. Um, I love this one family in Cincinnati, the Reed family. Um, they've taken in foster children who were foster to adoption children. But one of their daughters has, I think it's 11, disabled children that they have adopted. I'm getting choky as I mm-hmm. even think about that family. I see them in my mind. She wrote me a little note. They bought an old church and have converted the sanctuary into a playground. And so they <laughs> enjoy a playground. Appropriately... Uh, established for kids who have disabilities, but they invite the neighborhood and everyone goes, you know. So that's their way of extending invitation, not just those children. That's a radical form of hospitality. So hospitality goes from hospitality in the workplace to foster children to conversation with your neighbors to around your table. I mean, it's a broad topic. So my goal is to get it to that level where other people can step in and then take it forward where I can't. Hmm. I won't be around to do it. And then to just begin highlighting all of those extraordinary stories. One gal wrote me that she'd had this little ideas. We're asking for ideas. And one gal wrote, she said that she'd had an apple pie party. But she baked, I think it was five different pies, Apple pies with five different kinds of apples. And then she blindfolded everyone and they did taste tests to see what the distinctions (laughs) were between the apples. How cute is that? You know, just Mm -hmm. wonderful stuff. But to make it get to a point where we have enough people talking about it that becomes leverage so that it's a priority of Mm -hmm. the local church and the Christians in the local church, not just an ancillary. Yes. Okay. So you have a blog called Hungry Souls. And the latest uh, post that you made talked about this 
gathering is of misfits. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. Well, first of all, I don't think it, this is too different, but I've had too many people say to me, I've never met anyone like you to not feel like one of the misfits <laughs> myself. Um, but when we were in the local church, we would, uh, when we were pastoring, we would always have a class for misfits or a gathering of misfits. Inevitably, the most gifted, the most interesting, the most odd, but still very interesting people would come. And then we would figure out how to use their gifts. I remember one fellow, we met a Teamsters Union in Chicago across from the med, the med Center, the Westside Med Center, which is one of the largest ones in the whole world. So he was in some somewhere in his doctor, becoming a medical doctor. He went on to establish the... Spiritual, the spirituality unit at um, Duke, where they examined the impact of spiritual lives on health. Mm -hmm. And so here, this odd kid came to <laughs> our misfit group, and yet look at what it, look what he did in the world. I mean, it was just extraordinary. Uh, David Sullivan, mm. and um, so I try and remember to do that every off every even now. Um, and we can do it through the Hungry Souls newsletter and um, say those of you who are nearby come and we'll have an evening. We'll talk what it, about what it means to be a misfit. And then I have some who will, are across the country, we'll do a teleconference mm -hmm. call with them. But then, you know, what do we do with this misfitness? How do we view it? How have we compensated for yeah. you know, it? And then how do we reach out to the others who feel like they may be misfits in our world? I think a lot of people have this feeling. And uh, I had an experience uh, with a um, uh, young woman, um, and she came and spoke with me in a conference setting. She's a part of a group that's undergoing spiritual formation for um, on a quarterly basis for uh, nine quarters. And uh, she came to me and she said, I don't feel like I belong. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't think you will belong. And and she said, and she just came to me uh, this week and said, that statement has been most profound. And I think uh, a piece of being a misfit is discovering in an odd sort of way that I'm unique, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure how to be who I am in the midst of a culture Whatever that culture is, it can be a work culture, a church culture, a city culture, that this is the way you have to be. Uh -huh. And so uh, a misfit in many cases is actually being who they are. Uh -huh. And and so uh, she just, she feels a permission to, I think, belong in a different way. Uh -huh. Then, well, it's also who God has made you. Yes, to be. and so I think when when we get to that reality, reality, then we begin to celebrate the differences that we experience in, in ourselves from others, and then you find out that you're not all that different after all. Right, our needs are very normal. They, yeah. yeah, yeah, but there is, but but it's that uniqueness. And the um, you know the book that um, was written the same kind of different as me, mm -hmm. and so we um, we try to exclude people on the basis of that which is not changeable. Mm -hmm. Think of a disability. Mm -hmm. Think of an ethnicity. This is not changeable. Mm -hmm. 
And that's the way we exclude. And yet, if we were really honest, we are actually the same. We have the same need to love and be loved, to have purpose for life. And so we have to get past that space and and, and what that person does is they expose our own sense of not belonging. Mm-hmm. And, if, and so if we would just then face ourselves in that space, it mm-hmm. would, uh, uh, we, were, we would be less defended. And Brene Brown, I mean, is one who actually spoke about this. You're not going to move forward without vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And we live in a culture now that has given us so many ways to stay hidden, Mm -hmm. which was your word, um, to stay hidden and yet long more deeply to come out. Our son Jeremy was an immigration counselor, and so we had many, many um, discussions, actually actually tutoring sessions (laughs) in the immigration world dilemma, problems, whatever. And he used to say, they're just numbers until they have faces. And um, getting to know one another when they have faces, they're not just part of the mass or the numbers. All of a sudden changes your entire perspective on who these people are. And we do see the similarities. Mm-hmm. I think more than the differences, actually, yes. when, we, when we get to know one another's faces and have mm-hmm. communication. But that's what hospitality is, is really given as a tool for us to do. And, and, and I think there are two things. It models to a watching world what God is really like, mm-hmm. the hospitable heart of God. And I have a whole paper I did on, on what the hospitable heart of God looks like, taking it all out of scriptures. But when we act that way in this world, then the world begins to say, oh, I get it. Whether they articulate it or not, even, even if it's not conscious, they get a picture of what God is like, how he functions. And that is our responsibility, And that Karen. is our responsibility. And then when we deliberately and intentionally say, I need to get to know these people, how do I respond to those children who have disabilities? Uh, talking with a mom recently who has a little boy who was born blind, they adopted him knowing that he would be blind. And he just doesn't feel like he has friends. Well, that's the role of the church to say to that mom, what can we do? And they're church people. What can we do to make your child feel as though he has a world that loves him and wants him to be a part of it in this place? <laughs> so we have to make those, take them out of the numbers, out of the categories, all those, mm-hmm. one another, whatever we do, and put them into... Um, a place where they have faces, and we and I love your phrase, so that they know that they are seen. That's great. Just yes, a, there's an a, yes, there's an African um, saying in, um, and the person looks at you. Yeah, and I know what yeah, this is. Yes. Let me say it with you. Yes, mm-hmm. I see you. Is that and the one yes. you were going with? Mm-hmm. Okay, and I see you too. I see you too. And I am sure that it probably gets diminished. Mm-hmm being said over time. But if you say it slowly mm-hmm. and look at the person, mm-hmm. there is something um, really beautiful about it. And Kurt Thompson, who wrote Anatomy of the Soul and also The Soul of Shame, uh, I heard him at a conference and he said, uh, a baby coming through the birth canal, when they come out, they are spending their life looking 
for someone who is looking for them. Mm. And so I think of myself as being a part of the incarnational presence Mm -hmm. of Christ in the world. And so to look at people the way through me that he might look at someone Mm. and speak to someone. Yeah, I I think the listening guidelines that we use with Listen to My Life, and, and if people get to the point where they want to share their life story and, and all using those listening guidelines, or even if people have used those listening guidelines and then decide to do hospitality, it's just like warm up exercises. You know, it's, it's just training in how to listen and just to be present and invite souls out of hiding in a, in a way that there's nothing that we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to, Basically, the listening guidelines keep us from from exposing our judgmentalism mm-hmm. <laughs> and our our need to um, to seem significant by having a smart response yeah. or anything else, you know. Yeah. And and I just love what the listening guidelines have ha, ha, how different I am mm-hmm. in a way that has challenged me over time to just be open to listen and just hospitality for me is, is, is about creating the space where that kind of listening can happen. You're exactly right. You know, for people to really be seen, to really be heard, to really be welcomed, to know that they belong, that they can be loved. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think that's our heartbeat, uh, that we clearly have in common here. So what, would you say to our listeners, Karen, about some practical next steps that you'd like for them to explore? Well, I, one of the things I would do for those who are hesitant, um, is to go to someone who has the gift of hospitality and is exercising it all the time and say, how can I help you? Because I need to learn how to do this. You're really Mm -hmm. doing me the favor. So that's one suggestion I would make because we have lost the mentoring. There's been a skip of one or two generations where you saw how this worked in your home or yes. in your family. So um, that's one thing I would do. And everyone is flattered and to feel like they have something to pass on and to have an extra hand for hospitality. It does get harder as I get older, you know, and I'm generally blasted and mm-hmm. even when I was younger. You know, it takes a day to recover from a whole <laughs> hospitality thing. So it can, a big deal when it's a big deal. <clears throat> then I would simplify my approach. And the, I've gotten onto the used books on um, the Internet and just picked up a lot of, you know, used copies of hospitality books on hospitality that come out of the religious marketplace and um, picked up a bunch of those and gone through them. And again, that's since I wrote Open Heart, Open Home. So there are, I've got 10 titles, and all of them are very fine. And they all have a good exposition of scripture, and they have great ideas, a little bit different slant in each one. So read up on it. That would be a great way of going. You're not going to find in a lot of the slick home magazines these kinds of tools, I've looked at them. They don't really, they're showing rooms and, you know, beautiful food recipes, but they're not giving the skill of creating hospitality, making well, people feel well. In a way, oh. I think some of those pictures yeah. make it look like, well, that's not what my house looks like. I guess I can't do that. Yeah. You know, it's almost setting the bar too high. It's too high. In some ways. 
Uh, yeah, there's one really nice magazine that's come out, but it's still the Martha Stewart model, you know, um, and my younger friends like it. I'm going to write them and say, how about showing your room after the kids left and then showing it when you've got it all picked up, <laughs> you know. Let's make this more human. Homes are for people and they're for shelter and they're for inviting people into it. It'd be nice yeah. if we'd have a magazine, a slick magazine that would emphasize that. So reading, finding a mentor, and then just do it with other people. Um, you don't have to do this on your own. And I think that that's one of the scariest things about it when you're not comfortable about it. Um, and then sometimes in families, one spouse is not um, happy about hospitality and one is gung-ho and you've got to work those difficulties out. But I would find a friend and the, and they have bright ideas, or oh, let's have this kind of event, you know, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll do this. I was telling Sharon when we were setting up for this that there's a book I picked up called The Turquoise Table. And one woman painted a picnic table, turquoise, put it in the front yard, and this is on a a street that's you know busy busy i mean neighbors on mm-hmm. one side and but close enough where you can see the people who are sitting at the table so she moved the backyard activities mostly to the front yard and would sit there and do her notes or a prayer journal <laughs> for about an hour every day and she started to make connections with her neighbors and they and then she then she'd have a coffee pot out you know and so they'd come and they'd have coffee together so it just grew to the point now where there are turquoise tables in many, many states all across America. It was just a great idea. How easy is that? You know, mm-hmm. we just have to get over the the hesitancy. If no one else has a table out in front, well, yeah, you're going to be the first if you, if you grab right. onto that idea. But then out of that came these wonderful chats with people saying, why, why don't we do some such and such? And, you know, so-and-so has been recently widowed, and we have several older couples on the block. Or, you know, let's build a tea time for them or coffee time or something like that. So those ideas then develop back to the point. My point was don't try, feel like you have to do this all by yourself. Get mm-hmm. other people to, mm-hmm. to be, be right. part of your, your, your yes. kin or clan or your, yeah, whatever you're doing. And, and we are built, what you're speaking is, is uh, we, we were created in community and we are yes. built for community. And until we do the work of connecting that uh, that hospitality um, doesn't happen. And one of the reasons, I think you mentioned it, but was such a deep fear mm-hmm. um, and that and and it's much harder to break that down once that wall comes up. Well, part of this is a theological heresy, okay <clears throat> in in the fact that we are individual, individualist in the states. Yes. Western mentality is very individualistic, but the Bible is communal. Communal. And it comes out of those cultures when you travel in those cultures, you don't have this individualism. No. You have the we. I mean, when they say I in some of those cultures, they mean we. So David and I have done an intensive study in the meaning of the kingdom of God. It was not written for a person. It was written for the people of God, and that is Christ's basic teaching message, is the kingdom of God. Someone said, well, I thought it was because uh, we were supposed to become born again. Yes, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you become born again. You know, it's just a theology we have totally, for the most part, ignored. Now, we may mention it for the kingdom, for Christ and his kingdom, but we don't live it. No. And so the um, the job then is to 
to get back, to change our thinking to what the scripture is saying. The yous in scripture, for the most part, were written communally. They're plural yous. Every once in a while, it's to a singular person. But the addresses are to you, to the kingdom of God. It's people. It's people. And once we begin to recapture that theology, not live within the heresy of this individualized faith, then we're going to recapture a lot of the things we've been talking about this morning. Mm. Okay, so Karen's book is Open Heart, Open Home, and it's still available yes. on Amazon. Yes, University Press. University Press mm-hmm. is, is is that, and I'll also put the other um, resource uh, turquoise table. Yes, in turquoise our show notes. I found that well. on, on the internet. I think I got it. And I would use books. And, and I would add Tales of the Kingdom because it is a space, a hospitable space that has been created for people who long to be known and loved, and the process of that unfolding. There are no orphans in Great Park, is the no. that happens. Yes, and, and, and stories for children of all ages. Yes, all ages. It's yes. the big people who generally cry. Exactly. Reading <laughs> <laughs> the tales. They're beautiful. And we, we read it at our table to adults on a regular basis. Mm. And Hungry Souls. Um, is it hungrysouls.org, right? Yes. That's uh-huh. the blog? Yeah. Uh-huh. Very, very good. Oh, Karen Means, thank you so much for joining us thank today. You. Sybil Towner, say, signing off? Yes, and I'll look forward to being a part of this again. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation on hospitality. Uh, tune in next week. Bye-bye. Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes? If you've wondered any of these things before, you're ready for the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life. Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com. O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S dot com.